If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of this station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. The plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebel's hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <coughs> Boy, anytime you can use a Star Wars video to start off a sermon, it's a good day. It's a good day. I, I, I love that one. And, uh, you know, uh, I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's such a powerful statement. And it's also a really good lesson. That's what we're going to learn today is that there is a time to learn when to shut up. And I, and, I, and I know we live in an age where civil liberties are streaming and everybody can say whatever they say. Well, no, we used, that was 10 years ago. Now you can't say what you want to say. But we, we know about this idea of being able to vocalize what you want to say. And, but I, I think it's really interesting that there are good questions in life and there are good thoughts for us to have. But then there are times when there are stupid thoughts and, and there are stupid questions. And um, the problem is, is living in that place where you don't know the difference, where you're not exactly sure uh, about what is the right question I should be asking. So today we're going to see that it is, there are good questions that we should be asking and that we should be asking God about. But we're also going to find out there are already good questions that have been asked and you've asked them and he's already answered and that we're not actually living in. And then we're going to also find out that some of us just like asking questions because there is this idea that if you ask the next hard question that you're somehow intellectually enlightened to the universe. But we all want certainty in our lives. And I think if we use questions to find out certainty, that seems to be the right thing to use questions for, to figure out what our next step is. I ask a question so I can take the next step in the journey that I'm living on, no matter what it is. We all need a rock to build our lives on. And, and what that looks like may be where we have our problem. So we're using the book of Luke to discover certainty because he was a physician and because he was uh, somebody who was very logical and reasonable, reasonable and he laid out, we learned it last week, that he laid out his gospel because he knew there were people like you and I who had questions and we wanted certainty, we wanted proofs. So Luke was written that way to give us some certainty. So we're gonna run into some stories. Right off the bat, after Luke explains why he's writing this gospel of certainty, he takes us into two stories. And these two stories involve two people asking questions, looking for answers. But what you're gonna find out in today, and I'm hoping that God will do this with you as he's done it with me, is that you're going to find out that the questions that you're asking say something about your heart. 
not about your intellect, but maybe something about what's going on inside of you, what scares you, what gives you certainty, what gives you confidence, what, what makes you concerned about things in your life. So we really can learn about a, a lot from a person about the question that they're asking. So I'm gonna read these stories as Luke gave them to us and I'll, and I'll stop along the way and make some observations. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So this is, this is our introductory to these two people. They come from a really rich spiritual heritage. They're from this division of priests called Abijar, which in Hebrew means Yah or Yahweh is our father. You don't get a better name than that. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, yeah, that's my dad. He's quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Or yeah, that's my dad over here. He, that's, he's on that spaceship flying up to the moon or to Mars. And, and so their very name had built into it the, the boast of Yahweh as their father. Abijar was actually picked by David a thousand years earlier to serve in the priesthood and to serve in the temple. So the, the pedigree is pretty high here. You know, it's kind of like, wow, yes, I'm from uh, Abijah. And you know, you know what that means, right? You know, God's my father. And, and by the way, David actually picked me to be involved in, in temple worship. So they, they are cloaked in a cultural richness. They're not just average Jewish people. They are part of the aristocracy. They are part of the royalty of, uh, you know, of what it is. I mean, it's kind of like when we're watching the death of the queen in England and the monarch. And, you know, we all take some fascination with it. And I mean, the, the crown is the number one watch show on Netflix. But we kind of get interested with like, what would it be like to be a part of that group of people? I mean, like, there's English people and then there's English people, you know? I mean, like they're, they're in it. And that's where Zacharias is with his wife. We're not only told that they had this distinction of heritage, that we are told that they both conformed their lives to that heritage, that they were righteous and blameless and they did all the commands. So I just want you to see that these are people that have kind of privilege with them. They're, they're in it. They, they have all this knowledge about the scriptures. They obeyed the scriptures. They conformed to the scriptures. They did everything about it. But yeah, we're gonna find in the middle of it that this guy really doesn't believe it. I mean, when it comes down to it, all the cloaks, all the outfits, all the, all the stuff that's going on, Zacharias is going to ask a question that reveals what's really going on inside of his life. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot. I mean, it just sounds like so, so royal here. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of God and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. You know, I mean, just think of the pomp. You know, this all this kind of like he's got these robes on. And so, you know, he's just kind of like walking in. He's got all the priestly robe. And it's like the lot came to him. And this is a multitude. I mean, this is his moment. 
He's like, you are Israel at this moment. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. So Zechariah, I want to let you know the Lord heard your prayer and you couldn't have a child and we, we heard decades of prayers coming from you about this. Okay, so I want to let you know, hey, I'm here to tell you, it's happening, it's on. God is answering your prayer. He says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And if that wasn't enough of announcement for Zacharias, then he goes into scripture. The angel says, it is he who will be as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. It's like, what? You just put me in there with Elijah. It's like, this kid's gonna be something else. He's gonna be a linebacker. I mean, he's gonna be, he's gonna be something. This boy's gonna be, and then he said, not only is he gonna be something, let me just tell you, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Like this was predestined, this was spoken of by the prophets and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias has this acknowledgement of scripture over his son's birth announcement. And so Zacharias, like all of us, gets to ask his question. This man rich in Jewish lore and heritage and history and pomp and all of it, distinction. He's got a question to ask because, you know, when an angel pops up in front of you, you, you might want to ask at least one question. And he's got all of this, so he gets to ask his question. And Zacharias reveals his heart. How will I know this is for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. It's like, wow, that's your, that's your one question. Um, it's, we're told that fear gripped Zacharias. Why was that description important? It's because if this was a man and Zacharias knew that this was some dude that was hanging out in the temple who wasn't supposed to be there, he wouldn't have been gripped with fear, you know? But it was like, no, no, you're not supposed to be here. It's not like you're not supposed to be here. It's not, uh, it's, you know, it's my job. You, you get out of here, you know? Uh, I mean, it's not like he pulled out a nine millimeter and shot the guy, you know? It was like, no, he was gripped with fear. So Zacharias never goes this, through this whole moment of reality of trying to figure out what is the nature of this creature, this person in front of us. We're finding out immediately he doesn't impose him in authority, but rather he recognizes this is something different. But you know, even in an awareness that this is something different, something to be terrified of, it still doesn't affect his question. Zacharias does not challenge the nature of the visitor. He was scared of the angel, but the angel being an angel was not his question. He just didn't believe that the prayer that him and his wife had been praying for decades would be answered. This is, where it, this is where it happens. Then the angel 
answered and said, I am Gabriel. I have been sent, I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you the good news. Behold, you shall be silent until the, until, and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The angel reaches out and says, I find your lack of faith disturbing and puts a grip on his throat and keeps him from speaking. See, what is the angel not saying? Is the angel saying, don't you dare ask me a question? That's not what the, the angel's saying at all. This specifically pertains to Zacharias, and we're gonna see that in a moment. See, God doesn't give us information just so that we can have information. God will give you information so that you can take the next step in faith. But when you decide not to take the next step in faith, don't expect any more information. Be faithful with what you've been given. Well, Zacharias, in his personal life, has a database of information, of evidence, and he's ignoring it all. It's like, dude, if there was anybody, what, what are you doing in that temple? Why are you all dressed up in that garb? Why are you doing the incense in front of the Lord? Why, what is, it's like, you know all this, but yet while you're in there, inside of you is a heart as like, oh yeah, I believe in all this, but I'm not certain about him. Will he do what I ask him to do? Zacharias has personally affirmed he is talking to an angel, but he's totally gonna to ignore that fact. As far as I'm concerned, if an angel shows up to give me information, I'm not gonna question God in that moment. I think the only thing that I would do if a supernatural being showed up, I would say, um, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And then if it still stood there, I'd be like, okay, you're on our side. All right, just wanted to check. Wanted to make sure you're one of us, you know, because there are other guys out there, but I just want to make sure you're on our side. But you've already affirmed that this is supernatural, but yet at the very heart of supernatural, you doubt. You doubt it all. Zacharias needs to just shut up and say, thank you, sir. There are times when we're, we need to learn that we have enough information to move forward. Zacharias had the scripture, the priestly ordinances, the privilege, the, the pomp, had it all. And it's like, so that's not good enough for you, Zechariah? He had all the answers needed to move forward. And here's the thing. I, I'm gonna ask and challenge you. It's, has God given you enough answers to move forward? Or are you asking him some crazy question? If you're really God, how will I know for certain? And is it possible that God's like, listen, you know what? I've given you enough data. You just need to kind of, it's time for you to just kind of shut up a little bit and just do what you know. Well, Lord, I want you to fix my marriage. Why won't you heal my wife and so we can have a better marriage and all this other stuff? Why won't you make her love me? Why is I like, wait a minute, I've already given you enough information to, to, let a, to get a woman to love a man, if that's what she wants to do. 
Zachariah would have kept on asking questions. Skepticism is an interesting thing. It's almost like it's, um, um, we, think, we think atheism is the opposite of Christianity. Um, no, in its nature, it's not really the opposite of Christianity because atheism has made a decision, I don't want to believe in God. Agnosticism, or being a nun, as it's called today, is like, I just reserve the right to ask questions and not come to a conclusion. And then when God comes up with enough answers to what, that I can come up with, then finally, you know, maybe I'll make a decision about it. Zacharias didn't need more evidence. Zacharias wasn't believing the evidence he was living in. It's like, dude, you got evidence all, have you looked at your outfit? I mean, you're like, have you seen the garb that you're wearing? You see where you're standing. You're not even living in the answers that I've given you. Why do you think more answers is going to change the outcome here? So you may be, because we're going to find out that there are other kinds of things that prompt us to ask questions, but maybe you're the person that God has already given enough answers to, and you're just daggum stubborn, and you're angry, or you're just like, well, until God answers this, and God's like, and let me just say, let's put an end to this part of the metaphor. God is not choking anybody here. I don't need you tweeting that out. Local pastor says God's Darth Vader. You're gonna find out. You're gonna find out your unresolved heart issues is what's choking you. It's not a lack of answers, and it's not God. It's not an angel who's choking you. It's you choking you. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he had had a vision in the temple. <laughs> Even they could figure it out. This dude just encountered something supernatural. But Zacharias is in there. You got one question to ask is, oh, how do I know he'll really do it? Really? I'm an angel, man. I just showed up. Have you ever seen an angel before? I'm right in front of you. And, and that's your one question. That's what's getting in the way. And he kept making signs to them and remained muted. And when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after this days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way that the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Okay, so maybe you're in Zacharias' place. You're, you're just like, you're just like, well, he's just gonna have to answer this question. I will tell you this, God will always answer enough questions for you to take the next step. step. And I'm here to tell you, there is enough data on planet Earth for you to take the next step with God and that everybody here has access to it, okay? You don't have to be Zacharias any longer to have access to good data about the existence of God. So right on the heels of it, that story wanting certainty, we have another person who wants what? Certainty, just like you. There's nothing wrong with wanting certainty in your life. Her name is Mary, and she becomes the mother of Jesus. I found it interesting that these stories were paired together. It's like, this is so brilliant that this was laid out this way and that it happened this way. 
I also found it interesting that both, question, both stories have a question in them. But I also find it interesting that the angel responds differently to the question. This, this makes me understand that there, another question is going to be presented to the exact same angel, but the angel is going to respond differently. And why does that help me? Because it helps me understand that there is a healthy form of skepticism and there is an unhealthy form of skepticism. And if you're walking around boasting about being a skeptic, that is not intellectual. In the philosophical terms, that's called stupid. Okay, I just mean to be anybody who asks questions and refuses answers is not brilliant. Smart people look for questions so they can get the answer, so they can cascade it into the next place in their life, so they can go to the moon, and then they get answers about Mars, so we go to Mars, and, or whatever the application may be. But it's not smart to just coming up with a new question. Yeah, but Paul, where did the dinosaurs come from? But Paul, if God can make a rock so big, he can't lift it. It's like, Paul, it's like, well, I will tell you this, and I'm, this was my boast in Christ. If you have a legitimate question about the existence of God, I dare you to ask me about it. I dare you. <laughs> Because he's like, why are you so confident? Because I did the science, folks, because I had your doubts. And I'm going to tell you, there's about, there's an answer for anything you can throw out there in the form of skepticism. I know there's a, it's usually dudes are back there. No, I'm, I'm smarter than you. I, I, you know, tell me about, uh, you know, cloning or M-theory or, or, or uh, you know, all the other stuff about multiverses and all the stuff. And I will not only tell you what you don't know, and what nobody knows, but I'll also tell you what I do know about the existence of God and why we can trust the Gospels. But if you're just staying there because you're just like, feel like, like super smart, like Tony Stark, by asking questions over and over again, but never moving forward, then you're asking stupid questions. Smart people ask questions and look for answers. They get those answers and they move forward. We're gonna run into one of those people in this story. Now, in the sixth month, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be harsh. I, it, that was harsh. I, I, but, you know, who else are you going to let talk like this? You know, I mean, and not only that, I've been you. And it's like, it's my job to unsettle you and to prod you and to, to push you forward. My job is not to say, hey, you're awesome. Live your own truths. Be the best version of you. You know, I mean, it's like, what the heck is that? Oh, Okay. Uh, so now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man who was named Joseph, the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, she said, to, uh, "And coming in, he said to her, the angel, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you." Listen to her response. But she pondered and was perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, what kind of salutation was this? It's like, wait a minute, the angel didn't freak you out? You know why? Because she had a worldview that angels were involved in. She expected angels. She expected God. She expected miracles. She expected God to intervene in human history. She has no pedigree. You know, she's just in Nazareth, which is basically like a, a poor subdivision. And she's just going about her life. She doesn't have any priestly outfits. We don't even know if she's been in the temple. 
Not even sure she would have been allowed to go into the temple. But yet she had within her heart, she had expectation about God in her life. Mary was afraid, I mean, Zacharias was afraid of the angel. Mary is perplexed by the greeting. Same angel. It's not looked like he looked prettier when he showed up or less fearsome or whatever. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will, receive, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then Mary asked a question. Wow. Here we go. She says, how will it, can it be since I am a virgin? And you're thinking, oh, no. Here we go. The black glove. It's coming out. Here it comes. I find your faith disturbing. But it never happens. It never happens. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, why doesn't it happen to her? You know, it's, it's like, why not her? Why not choke her out? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come, come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even in your, uh, your uh, relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Why didn't she get the treatment of the black love from God? Because the problem is not asking questions. God never told you to shut up and believe. In the word of God, there were a couple of examples of God enabling older women who were barren to have children. Zacharias knew that. that, that that's happened before, a couple times. God has done stuff like that. But nowhere is there a faith-compelling statement to Mary that virgins have children. It's never happened before. And let me just tell you, it's okay to ask a question when all of a sudden, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, because it's like, yeah, you're right. You have, faith comes by the word of God. You have nothing to base this next experience that I just talked to you about. There is nowhere a prior example of God doing this. But Mary asks the question. Also, Zacharias is stating through his question, because you can find out something about the heart of a person by the questions that they're asking. He's asking, prove God will do this. Mary's asking the question, how will God do this? Have you ever, have, ever had anybody question your integrity? Have you ever had somebody that you've helped over and over again in life ask you the question of like, how do I know you'll follow through? How do I know you'll keep your word? How do I know you'll do it? And here's Zachariah standing in the very garb of priesthood in the temple of God with an angel in front of him with the incense in his hand making prayers before, because he's supposed to believe in an unseen God. He's supposed to believe in all the history that's around him, carved on the walls of the journeys of Israel. He's supposed to, and in the middle of it, he's like, yeah, I, my question says, I'm not really 
sure he'll do it. How do I know he'll do it? He questions the integrity of God. Mary's not doing that. She's like, huh, that's a heck of a thing. I'm going to be pregnant without a man. Could you tell me how that's going to happen? Fair question. There are some questions you have a right to ask, and they're good questions. But I'll tell you what, Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross and rising on the third day should wipe out a bunch of stupid questions. It really should. God creating something from nothing and having the verification of the Big Bang and background radiation verifying that the universe is not eternal, but that it was created and had a beginning and we can track down its beginning, that should tell you something. But for a lot of us, we're just asking the same question over and over again. How do I know God exists? How do I know God exists? One is challenging the faithfulness of God. The other one is questioning how he's going to pull it off. So then I think Mary's astounding. I mean, uh, okay, can you flip back to that other scripture, uh, the one right before there? Because it's not in my notes here, so I didn't give it to him. The one where he explains that uh, the angel, the, whole, the uh, Holy Spirit will come upon you. Yeah, okay. I don't know about you. You didn't tell me squat. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, but let me explain how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come over you, and, and what would be conceived of you would be with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that would have just generated more questions. I mean, he, he just kind of like basically said, hey, you just got to trust me on this. Here's a, here's a general way this is going to work out. We've tried to figure out how it happened. We don't really know. When we theorize about it and all that stuff, how did Joseph get his, D, I mean, Jesus get his masculine DNA and all the other stuff. We don't really know. But Mary, listen to Mary's response. She's like, oh God, I don't need any more of that. Behold, the servant, bond servant of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. See, she got an answer from God. Didn't totally understand the answer. But you know what? The fact that I'm having this conversation with an angel, the fact that I'm having a conversation with God, the fact that God's aware of who I am and he's interested in my future, I don't need all the answers. You gave me enough. Let's do this. Hey, what's it going to take for, for the, all of us to jump in and say, let's do this. Let's pray for the sick, praying, believing that they'll get healed. Let's forgive one another in our families and in our marriages. Let's do this. This marriage, if we invite God into it, it really could be restored. Let's do this. What, what good, credible piece of information are you still waiting on from God before you take the next step? Because you, I mean, you may really have one. Just like Mary and Zacharias, we need something to hold on to. We have questions. We need certainty. I have been, I'd like to say I'm Mary, but I'm not Mary. I've been called a Mary a couple times, but I am not Mary. Um, that was a 1970s joke. Uh, but... Uh, I've been Zacharias about three to five times in my life. I've wrestled, and I've told you this, I've wrestled with the existence of God for five years while being the pastor of this church. That's why I did not pray for healing for any of you during that five-year period. That's why I kind of like, hey, yeah, go to Ben. If you need healing, go to Ben. Why? I'm still trying to figure out if I believe in the existence of God. He's like, but you were the pastor. I'm like, sorry. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. We have doubts too. I mean, we, we have, so, so for five years, I, I had real doubts with the science of the universe. I really had problems with evolution. That one really kind of like, uh, 
I can remember like it, it, seeing this squirrel thing run across my backyard. It was like 15 years ago, but running across my backyard and it, and it looked like it, it, it ran and it hopped. And it, so it looked like a squirrel and a, a rabbit had mated in my backyard. I'm like, what kind of crazy crap's going on in my backyard? And, but it's like, so this thing ran and hopped, ran and hopped, ran and hopped, had a giant head on it. You know, just an ordinary, it's kind of like, just a simple little mutation. But you know what? Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe if I give this little rabbit squirrel another 100,000 years, it'll turn into a person, you know? And so, I mean, it was like that easy to knock me off my stool of faith. But I went and got answers. I looked at evolution. I looked at the science of it. Looked about what they're really sure about and what, what, what they're guessing about. Began to look about, I looked at the book of Genesis. It's like, do we have to interpret it this way? Could it mean that, you know, how old is the earth? I really, you know, do we have to think it's seven 24-hour days? I mean, I, I started like, but I wanted a real answer. I wasn't just going to sit there and keep asking the same question over again. I wrestled with the reliability of the scriptures at the same time. It's like, well, you know, but Luke says this, but Mark says that. And it's like, well, it's going to be one or the other. Or it's a contradiction. If there's a contradiction, it's like, you know, um, then it can't be true. It's it all just domino effect. The whole thing's a lie. And, and so I started researching about that and, and grabbing books and, and, and beginning to understand what, what kind of documents were the gospels? What, what kind of piece of literature were there? Why is it that this one says there was 72 that were sent out and this one says there were 70 that were sent out? What was it, 72 or 70? God doesn't exist! You know? And, but then there were real answers. And I found those real answers. I constantly would seek out a new question to ask. And it's kind of like I kept, I kept undermining myself. I would watch the National Geographic channel, the Discovery channel. And I'd be going along finding like, okay, God exists again. All right, I got enough here. Okay, that's cool. And all of a sudden, National Geographic comes out with ancient aliens. You know, I'm like, oh, crap, God doesn't exist. They're ancient aliens, you know? It's like, oh, I, you know, I hope I'm, I'm not the only person who wrestles with things. I may be the only person who says them out loud. And then I'd watch about uh, the, uh, the, the giant collider and, and then the multiverse and the God particle. And I'd think, oh, no, there's multi multiverses and and then cloning, and I don't know why, I just got hooked onto the Discovery Channel because I assumed the Discovery Channel wouldn't lie to me or misrepresent truth. So I actually believed that there was something that was truer than God's word. Fundamental problem right there. Fish evolving into reptiles. Oh, and then all of a sudden, the Discovery Channel, which is supposed to be unbiased and scientific, does an article about the Gospel of Thomas. There's another gospel. And it was written by Thomas. And Mary and Jesus were married in this one. And Dan Brown gets a hold of it and writes a book called The Da Vinci Code and the movie. And then half the people in this auditorium believed that the Bible was put together by Constantine and it was put together to be masculine. And they controlled everything in the narrative about it. And it's a crock. It's a giant lie. But I had to get my answer. But you know what? God challenged me because I kept asking the same questions over and over and over again. I got caught in a feedback loop. And God's like, listen, you've asked this question. I've given you an answer. 
Now move on. So to this day, now, evolution, I don't have a problem with it, don't agree with it, don't have a problem with it, and it definitely doesn't undermine God creating the universe. I got my answer, and I've moved forward. If you haven't gotten your answer, and I can help you get your answer, please, I want you to, I want you to move on. Why do I believe the four gospels are reliable? It's like, I got my answer. But every time God gives you an answer, God wants you to take the next step. He's not just saying, here's an answer, so now ask me another question. It's like, no, I've asked you, you know, now it's time to stop beating your wife. Now it's time for you to start, stop lying. Now it's time for you to start loving your neighbor. Now it's time for you to start praying for the sick. Now it's time, I am giving you an answer so that you move on. But if you're cycling through the same thing, wondering why God, why aren't you involved? Why aren't you doing anything? I'm telling you, there's really probably a, a good high probability that you have already pre been presented the answer and you, for some reason, just like asking questions. I don't know if it's soothing. I don't know what it is. But there was a point when God says, hey, I give you an answer, dude. It's time for you to take the next step. See, God was not choking me. The angel was not choking me. I was choking me. My lack of faith was disturbing. It was disturbing my soul. And I can tell you, I'm just absolutely amazed where I am today. Um, I love science. I'm steeped in it as much as you can and not be, you know, a college guy, you know, who majored in it. I love the scriptures. I love history. I love all of it. It's like, why? Because when you unfolded it, it was kind of like, brrr. it's like, there's God. You know, it, it makes perfect sense. So let me ask you this, or, or let me just tell you this. I asked the question, what is enough? Uh, and where do I get it from? And you may be sitting here, when do I move on? Um, in philosophy, they call this, it's a really cool phrase, it's called epistemic warrant. Really nice, doesn't that cool? Nice word. Epistemic warrant. That means everybody has a belief system of something, and you develop what's called a warrant, kind of like to search somebody's house. You develop a warrant, meaning a right to hold this to be true. Everybody develops an epistemic warrant. You have a right to hold this true and that this is a fact. So the thing is, is to develop, okay, what do I need in order to produce this? And the interesting thing that I have found is that we, just, we live without epistemic warrant for so many things. You know, we, we, we do. We in philosophy, the existence of God is kind of like the number one question. You know what the number two question about what you can't prove? And you think you all can, but you can't prove this. This is going to be so fundamental. Do you know the past? You cannot prove the past exists. You say, well, yeah, but I got this old sword that my dad got when he was in World War II. No, you can't prove that's old. You can, I can make the argument that it was just made to look old. Because there is no evidence, but yet there isn't a person here that has wrestled last night, going to bed laying, it's like, God, I wonder if the past is real. You just took that verbatim as, as the past is real, 
And it doesn't need any more warrant than that. I'm here to tell you, philosophically, the existence of God is totally warranted. It doesn't even need to be proved. It, it, it doesn't need any more information. You have to disprove the existence of God. But you are in within your epistemic right, your ability to know, to believe in the existence of God until someone proves God doesn't exist. Do you know, uh, uh, what is that guy that's uh, the big atheist, um, uh, wrote the book? Uh, you can shout out his name if you want to. Um, uh, used to uh, Dawkins, yeah, yeah, Dawkins. Do you know even Dawkins says, yeah, there is a, there is a level of probability that God exists. Dawkins one of the, 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 the four horsemen of atheism in the world says, oh yeah, yeah, you can prove God exists. I just choose not to believe it. It's like, when are we gonna take the next step? Where do I get my answers from? What worked for me? Scripture, evidence, and experience. Everything works that way. Scripture told me about it. There was scientific evidence to support it, historical evidence to support it, and then experience. I experienced something. I heard other people experiencing something. See, you say, well, I can't do that. No, this is how you, you buy stocks. You research it, you see how the stock performed in the past, and you talk to other people who have bought the stock. You use this exact same system with money. Why aren't we using it with God? You say, well, how do you know it's true? I have two ways of affirming everything to be true if I believe it. Uh, witness of the Holy Spirit, that sometimes God will, I feel love. I feel like I have purpose. I feel like what I said to them was wrong. And then I have the testimony and the affirmation of logic and reason. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, God makes sense. See, we have all this in front of us. Why aren't we moving forward? Why aren't we praying for the sick? Why are we still just wrestling with well, I don't believe in God because my last church I went to, a, went to was mean to me. Really? Was that enough epistemic warrant for you to walk away from God? Now, I will tell you, there are some things that will rock your world. And I would say the highest one would be the death of a child. Okay? I, I, would, I would say, yeah, you have a right to ask some questions. Um, because sometimes it's not we like to ask questions. Sometimes it's not. Uh, we have doubts. It sometimes is like life has been so hard. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. Let me just tell you, God will never choke out that person. Okay, that's a real hard question. And it's hard to move on from something like that. But there are so many other experiences in life where God's like, listen, I've given you enough evidence. And let's just... Let's admit, it's like, yeah, but Paul, the Bible's 2,000 years old. If a guy named Jesus showed up on planet Earth today and we all broke out our GoPros and our drones and we videotaped it and we put it on YouTube, would that do it for you? I don't know about you. I spent a lot of time on YouTube and I've seen some crazy stuff that I know is all made up. You know, we think our technology would prove it to be true. We're now at the point where our technology is totally unreliable. The old adage of pictures, you know, is worth a thousand words. It's like, no, it does. It's like 
So God was so smart that he rooted this with a group of people who record history so diligently, so soundly. It's absolutely, he's, he's so smart. What's it going to take for you to take the next step? Do we have enough exposure to God's will? Because you might be here and it's like, well, Paul, you did the research and all like, I'm like, okay, that's my job. I'm here to help you get the next step. Evolution in your way? Let's talk. I have a small group. Let's talk. Um, uh, you don't know the Bible in your, in, is in your way? We've got a lot of small groups. Let's talk. Let's go into it. We got YouTube, Bible apps. We got podcasts. We got Snapchat, zippity doo and a whole other things out there. We have access to know. And if you're asking questions, they're out there. The answers are there. In the end of the story, they all experience, uh, that's what I love about God. It's like Zacharias ends up talking again and Mary has her baby and so does Zachariah. God is not the Darth Vader character and God is not choking your face. You are. Paul said this, and in closing, he said this thing in Philippians 1.6, and this is, this is so beautiful. He says, for I am confident, I am sure, I have certainty of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's like, wow, that's a beautiful idea, isn't it? Is that, I mean, that's a beautiful idea. Paul settled his scientific questions. Paul settled his epistemological framework. Paul asked his questions. And when he came to the end of asking his questions, he said, I'm not only confident that God's doing this for me, I am confident he's doing it for you. So let me ask you this. Based upon the nature of the universe, the history of Jesus, the literary reliability of scriptures, the experience of hundreds of millions others, all experienced in reasonable and logical minds. Do you believe it? Well, Paul, of course I believe it. I've been coming to this church for 20 years. I believe it. I got the robe. I got the incense. I'm of the tribe of Abijar. You know, I'm, of course, that doesn't mean squat. Well, I went to Bible college. Doesn't mean squat. But I was raised in a Christian home. Doesn't mean squat. I'm sorry, that's probably not a really good phrase. It took me three times before I began to visualize it. And so, but I'm just trying to challenge you. Let's move on. Let's take the next step. There are answers. And if God gives you an answer as he's given me, there's another step. It may present a new question, but it will be, be the essence of that question will be different. It won't be about how can I trust you? It'll be about something else. Like, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to give? Where do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to forgive? I won't need it all explained again. Father, thank you so much for challenging us today. And God, this was just a little microcosm of my personal life, but I think you took me through it, not only for me, but for, for all of us. Because there are questions, and there are good questions. But God, we, we have stopped moving forward when we've gotten our answers. And 
God, I pray especially for the people here who have had the wind knocked out of them by a loss or a failure or a disappointment that has made them question their faith. And God, I know, like your word says, that you will not break a bruised reed, you will not snuff out a smoldering wick. That even in the most difficult and brokenness of lives, where we don't expect life to happen, honey can come from a rock. Help us in our unbelief, oh God. And God, for those of us who just like asking questions because we think it makes us smart, God, help us see how much we're choking out of our lives. For those of us who are really afraid, can I trust God like Zechariah? It's like, I can do all the other religious stuff, but I, I just have a hard time trusting him. God, help our unbelief. Help us today. When we take the bread and the cup, help us remember that will not he who freely gave us his own son freely give us all things that we can trust in you. Thank you, God. Jesus is the answer.